We're going to invite David to come. Um, I got invited to a meeting at the, um, where was I, Hope Centre, about a year and a half ago. And um, there was two men that were speaking, one with Ed Delph and one was David. And, you know, you get invited to a number of things. And you obviously can't go to all things, but I said, sent the Spirit so man, you need to go to this meeting. And I didn't know Ed, and I certainly didn't know David. And um, they were speaking together, but you'd probably say Ed sort of spoke for 90% of the time, and, and David sort of, you'd have what, probably a cameo role, um, you could say. But as soon as he got up to speak, I, I heard my father. I'm not saying I didn't hear it through Ed, but I heard a frequency that I recognized in my spirit, and my spirit leapt. Um, and I was just hanging on every word that was spoken. And that day, David was talking about faith comes through hearing. And obviously, if you've read some of the books that I've written, Father's spoken to me a lot about that sort of stuff. So I was captivated by what was coming forth, the Christ in this man. And God spoke to me and said, you need to connect with him more. And, and so I sent David an email afterwards. I remember getting his book and... Um, taking that away but I knew it was going to be more than a book relationship it needed to be personal and I remember getting in touch with David and I said would you come back are you coming back he's a very successful businessman he's very busy uh, building a successful pool business but he said I'd love to and if you're at the the camp that we had he's been here on a Thursday night and spoken and him and Rhonda came uh, in March this year and just was so open vulnerable humble but in power, released the Christ and led us into their relationship. And it was just incredible. Who was there? Yeah, it was phenomenal. And so God is doing something very powerful here. And, you know, for David Ride Thursday, from Thursday to now, and it will continue on, I think it's just been heaven, invading heaven in our hearts. And just the dialogue is just so rich. And uh, we can laugh. We were out fishing uh, the other day, we went, tried to get on a boat, but that was a bit too choppy. We prayed that God would calm the seas, but he didn't. So we got one of those Kentucky things and sent that out. <laughs> and that went two and a half k's out. We got about 10 fish. It was awesome. We didn't have to do too much. <laughs> Could be the new form of fishing. But there's such a synergy that God is building, and, it, and it's profound. And, and I'm just so thankful, mate, that you're here again. And, um, and you're giving up your time to be here and the sacrifice of all that and what it takes, which... Many people have no idea the type of cost and those things. So just please come and just be you and just bless us with the Christ that's within you. Let's welcome David as he comes. Good morning. Is this supposed to be in the front row, or do I move it back a little bit? It's right there. And then my boundaries are this line and this line. Okay. Well, I've had a few experiences um, this, this uh, uh, trip that uh, there's a lot of things I learned that I didn't know. I don't know how to talk. Um, it's not Jaguar. It's Jaguar. It's not Filet. It's Fillet. It's not tomato, it's tomato. <laughs> I've learned that um, I drive on the wrong side of the road. 
and the steering wheel of my truck is on the wrong side of the car. Um, so it's just, I learned that I was in an earthquake this morning, and I had no idea. I've learned that you think it's warm here. Now let me tell you something, I disagree. Where I live, it is hot. Oh, my goodness. I love the spirit here. Um, so I, I met Greg the first time uh, at the, the conference, and I was did my five-minute uh, cameo, which I don't care. Um, I'm convinced that when God has something for you to say, it's necessarily his responsibility to provide the platform for that to happen. So I'm content to enjoy the journey as I go and get to travel on all these things. And yet, God takes this five-minute intersection, and, and I find somebody that has a kindred spirit with me. Now, let me give a context for this. You see, in, in where I'm from, I, 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 I fail at times to see a find a people or a person who's passionate about driving deeper into the things of God. Okay, there's a lot of satisfaction in the institution, the church, and it's not just at home, but it's it's all over the world where we, we get this one revelation, we put it in the box, and we define God by that one revelation. And the fact of the matter is, it's just the beginning. And so I've been walking with the Lord for like 30 years, and the more I learn about God, the weaker I figure out I am. The more I learn about God, the more I see God, the blinder I realize I am. So when I talk today, it's not out of a position of strength. It's in a position of absolute dependence on the reality of who he is. And, and you probably heard me say this before, but if you never, if you walk away from here, If you walk away from here and never remember my name, I don't care what I want you to see is Jesus. Remember the man who showed us Jesus. That truly is the depth of my heart. John 17, 3 says it this way. This is eternal life to know God. And really, that's what drives everything I do. I'm in business. It's God's business. Um, I do that because that's where he's placed me. But when he says go, you don't have to ask me twice. I'm ready to go. Because the adventures with him and the discovering the reality of who he is in every circumstance, in every situation, I can't get enough of. There's a, there's a hunger for the word that, that, that he has put inside that says what I learned about the reality of him yesterday isn't good enough for today. God, show me more of who you are because what I learned today is not going to be good enough for tomorrow. A, 
a passion to know God, and that's really what I want people to grab a hold of. You will spend eternity, you will spend eternity discovering an eternal God. There's no reason why you should not be doing that right now. Because eternal life doesn't start when you die. You are in eternal life. So begin to look at things that way. Begin to see that, that this, this, this Christ in you, that you're the, his body is for now. It's not for later. And begin to walk above the, the things that the, in the natural that try to distract you from the reality of what you are. You're, a, you're the body of Christ. He's the head. All creation, all creation looks at the reality of who you are. So let me ask you this. What do you manifest? When people look at you, do they see the God of all creation? Now remember, you can't do that in your strength. You will fail. It's not if you fail. It is when you fail. But the beauty in failing is the realization of the depth of his mercy and his grace and the life that he put in you. A crazy, crazy love. My wife says, hello. She had a great time when we were here at family camp. Um, I think uh, that's the second international trip that she's taken with me. And, and she's not a traveler, but we sure had a lot of fun when we were here. And, and um, like I said, um, I, I got here about two weeks ago. I teach in a Bible college, Faith Bible College in Tararanga. Yes? Tararanga? <laughs> it's all right. You can help me. No, the best one that I heard last night, this is no joke, when you told me what your wife was doing. Remember when she left the party? And what did you say to me? She's at a... A who? What did you call it? A hen's who? Hen's night. That's exactly how the conversation went last night. And thankfully, there was an interpreter standing next to me because he helped confuse me too. So it really had to slow down. Hen's night. What do we call them at home? Bachelorette party. Wow. I can't wait to go home and use a hen's night if I remember that. I'm going to use it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. God, we come to you with an attitude of need. We need you. In fact, God... If you don't show up, if you don't manifest here today, God, the words that, that are spoken here will be on deaf ears. Open our ears, God. <laughs> Help us to see the things of you. Unlock the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Our desires to know you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
So in talking today, I, 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 I was here a couple days ago, and I was listening, not here, but I was in New Zealand, and I was listening to a, a Christian man say, make a statement. He said, God is concerned about character. People forget that God is developing character. And just as soon as that got out of his mouth, God says to me, God isn't concerned with character development. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Some of you guys are freaking out already, looking at your watch. Darn, 50 minutes left. But in knowing this, what it really opened my eyes was this thing. See, I'm convinced that choice doesn't make a man. Choice reveals a man. Okay? You're going to choose after two things. You're either going to walk in the spirit or you're going to walk in the flesh. That's it. No dilemma. What you manifest is where you are. And on top of that, you will manifest how well you know God. Oh, yeah, I know. That's terrible. It's awful to hear a Christian say, I'm stressed out. (laughs) How are you stressed out? If Christ's burden is light, if his yoke is light, and he is your strength, how could you possibly be stressed out? Now, I'm not condemning you. I'm just trying to draw this out so that you begin to look at things in a different way. Because the character of God is what? Does God get stressed out? Now, some of you think he does. David, what do you think about that president you have? People get stressed out. Do you actually think for one moment that a leader of a country gets to that position without God knowing about it? Doesn't happen, does it? The Bible says he raises a man up. He puts a man down. He does what he does. He has purposes for the people that you agree with. And he has purposes for the people you don't agree with. So we really don't have to stress out about that, do we? How about economic situations? Oh, my goodness. How am I going to take care of the bills this week? Stressing out. But doesn't the word of God say, I provide for your need according to your riches and glory? So what are we manifesting when we make that declaration in the middle of the trial and the tribulation? Here's what I want you to know. You know what the reason for the trial and the tribulation? So you will manifest the reality of who you are. You see, you think you know what you are, but the fact of the matter is the heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things. And who shall know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins and give every man according to his, the fruit of his doings. So the fact of the matter is, you may think you are one way, and the second you think you're one way, 
might I warn you, things are not as they appear. But you begin to see things in life through God's eyes. You begin to see, as you get to know him, you look at every situation from his perspective, not this narrow perspective of what the world has taught you. Before Christ, you had one set of lenses. You have one set of glasses, and that was through the natural man, governed by five senses. What I see, hear, smell, touch, taste. That's what governed you. That's what moved you. And you know what the sad part is? After we become Christians, we still do live by that. Can't do that. You see, with Christ in you, that thing no longer leads. Emotions are terrible leaders, but wonderful followers. You see, God has all those characteristics of the flesh, doesn't he? You were created in his image, so he had to put them together and put them in you. But the difference between him and you is this. The spirit leads the flesh. The flesh doesn't lead the spirit. And when you are born again, you begin that journey of learning to walk by the spirit. All right, so... God, give me this picture. This isn't prophetic art. Actually, I would consider it pathetic art. (laughs) You can see how simple my mind is when God tells me to draw. It doesn't make it too complicated. And I'm going to call this guy Newman. This is Newman. He's Kiwi, American. Cross? Is he cross-eyed? If God's depending on my drawings to get somebody saved, nobody's ever going to get saved. So this encapsulates basically what we are as human. What do you have on the outside of you? Flesh, right? That's that flesh nature. That's this tent. In seasons of our life, we're very semi-happy with the tent. In seasons of our life, not so much. Just being real. The tent deteriorates because of the effect of sin on life. I I love to hear these stories, these anointed men of God, and their tent still fails. If you read about the the death of Elisha, okay, 2 Kings 13, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but it's in the Bible, all right? It says, and Elisha becoming sick of the sickness of death. God told him that's where he was going to die. That's not supposed to happen in our charismatic circles, is it? But yet, that's the effect of sin on our bodies or on the world. Now, does God heal? Everybody shake your head, yes. Okay, because I don't want nobody walking out of here and saying, Dave said God doesn't heal. That's not the truth. Pray for people all the time. See people get healed. See people not so healed. 
Okay? So here's the point. So the, the, the prophet dies, and they bury him in his tomb. And, and he's been buried long enough to his flesh is rotting, okay? Or rotted. And so there's a, a, another tribe, and they're getting ready to bury somebody, and they get attacked, and they take this body and throw it on the bones of Elisha, and guess what's happening? The dude gets up revived. Not Elisha, the dude who got thrown on his bones. Think about that. You see, because that's what happens when the life of God comes in this mortal body. When his anointing, when his light is there. Can we move to this reality? This passes away that there's an eternal light that's here? Can we walk our lives in such a way? So we have this, this outside stuff called flesh. And now, let, let's real quick, I want to talk about the characteristic a little bit. It says, we know the flesh does not follow God. In fact, is an enemy from God. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 21. Making sure there's no Bible around here nobody's looking for. All right. You know what's funny? When you used to preach a long time ago, everybody had paper Bibles. And so you would listen. When people flip pages, everybody's got it on their phone now. And nobody can hear nothing. So I'm just assuming that you're looking it up. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. That's verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 18. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, that can be a lot of tongue-tying stuff. But let me try to simplify it a little bit. Has anybody ever in their life done something they know they shouldn't have done? Don't put your hand up. So rhetorically, maybe. But the point is this. It's like, well, we use this term, the devil made me do it. But the fact of the matter is, you, there was this realization that even though you knew the right thing to do, at times you felt powerless to do it. Anybody can relate to that? Don't put your hands up. Yes. Okay, so he goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. I'm going to create an app that when you turn the page in your Bible, you can hear on your phone, you can hear the pages rattle. That's what I'm going to do. It says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. That's chapter 8, verse 6. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so, and those who are the flesh cannot please God. So just in this small section of Scripture, can we agree on something? Will the flesh ever choose God? All right. Unanimous. Never 
choose God. Did I say never right? It's you guys do. It's never or never. Ne never, ne never, never. Okay, Just make it a never. <laughs> Turn with me to Genesis chapter three one. Rattle your pages louder, Pastor, please. Because I want to show you an example of a flesh-led life from day one. Okay? Are you ready? No yawning. I know it was a late night. <laughs> I'll be yawning too, and it just looked bad from this perspective. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the free fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, how many rules were there to follow in the first week of creation? One. How many? One. Should be a simple task. Can't misinterpret that. Trees all over the garden. Just don't eat out of that one. Pretty simple. So we think. So then the devil tempts her. And what does the woman do? She quotes the only rule there is to follow. How do you know she's flesh-led? Because what we just read in Romans is the thing that she knew she ought to do, she couldn't do. She's flesh-led. Now, let's just chase the little rabbit trail. You have rabbits here, right? Okay. Just want to explain what a rabbit was. Where did woman come from? God, yes, but man, right? I mean, if you think about it, where did, I mean, God puts Adam to sleep, okay? Because nobody can take the blame for about what's about to happen, right? Nobody, God, God's intentional about this. So he puts him to sleep. Now, what's the only thing in the garden not made out of dirt? Who? No. Eve. Remember, God fashions Adam out of dirt, and he does what? He breathes on her. So he puts Adam to sleep. He grabs a rib. No wonder we like ribs so much. Grabs a rib. <laughs> That's pretty good, huh? <laughs> grabs a rib puts flesh around it, and you notice something you never read about God breathing in Eve. Why? Oh, come on. Because she's from Adam, and she already has the breath of life in her. Now, it's very important for you to understand this principle, because when Adam wakes up, he makes a, declar a declaration. She is bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She is woman. She came from man. 
And this is where we, we read, man shall leave mother and father and get married, and the two become what? One flesh. Now, it's important for you to understand something. When Adam and Eve are so intertwined, when does Adam sin? When, no. Adam sins because when Eve eats the fruit. Why? Because the two are one flesh. And here, let me, yeah, yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. Now, I got to tell you, when I read the Bible, I ask, you know, silly questions of God. God, why did the serpent tempt Eve and not Adam? Because everything that God does is deliberate. So Adam sins when Eve eats because the two are one flesh. Do you know why the devil tries to destroy marriages and and we've all got the church answers but i want to give you something else to think about you see marriage is about is a type and shadow in the old testament of the head christ being joined to the body us and the two becoming one flesh it's not about Christ and a bride, it's about Christ and his body. And that will be for another day because I will, I can, we'll tear it up. But so just trust me for now. So marriage is about the joining of the head and the body of Christ. So they are two one. And Satan wants to destroy that because if I can desensitize you about the value of marriage, then I will desensitize you to what it means to be joined to Christ. You see, it's a deeper strategy than we've given it credit for. Okay? That was the rabbit trail. And now we're back. So we can see that Adam and Eve sin, and even though Eve could quote the law, let me let me address something real quick because this is what happens when I talk about stuff like this. Somebody in the audience will be thinking, uh, this is a man-woman thing. Do you understand this isn't a man-woman thing? And I better never hear a story about some man blaming a woman that 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 you cause the fall of mankind, because that's not what this is about. In fact, I would go I would go further to say it this way. Do you know why? Jesus is born from a virgin. Now remember, Adam and Eve um, multiply, and they produce flesh-led children. But when the Holy Spirit comes on Eve, what does that produce? Spirit-led child. Remember, Jesus, though he's subject to the flesh, he never falls. Why? Will the spirit-led person ever choose the flesh? Never. Why? Because it's the DNA of God. In fact, in here, when you become born again, 
you have the new man. And that new man has what? He has the DNA of God in him. In fact, it says in John chapter 3 that does this guy sin? Not according to the word. So he doesn't sin. That's what means about the new man. All right? So let's go to another example. Genesis chapter 4. These are examples of what flesh-led life does from the very beginning. This isn't a new revelation. God began to tell us that from the very beginning of time. You see, we've made the mistake that the garden's about the choice. But really the mistake that we've made is not understanding that it wasn't about the choice. It's about his unfolding of his plan. Remember, does God know everything? Let me hear your marbles rattle. Yes, Dave. He's all-knowing. Does he know the beginning from the end? Yes, he does. So you have to ask this question. God, if you knew what was going to happen, you could have avoided the whole problem. I'm sorry, these are the conversations I have with him. You could have not planted the tree or not given the law. Because if there's no tree and no law, no problem. Yes? So then you have to ask God, why did you do it if you knew what was going to happen? And you begin to see that when you look at things through the view of what this sovereign God, who knows the beginning from the end, you begin to see that he was unfolding a plan to show you that a flesh-led life will never choose him and only a spirit-led life by which he created you will follow him. Let me give you an illustration. If you're, when you were young, younger, or young, youngish, is that a Kiwi word? Okay. You couldn't wait to leave your parents' house. Oh, I'm going to, I'll do, make these decisions, and nobody ever tell me what to do, and it's going to be great. Anybody relate? And then two years later, when life slaps you in the face, and the bills come in, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to make things happen, do you gain an appreciation for what your parents provided for you? Yes? Now, that is not a mistake on God's part. Because remember, all through the Bible, God allows you to go through hard times and hard seasons. Why? So that you can appreciate the reality of who He is. You discover the depth of His character when you walk through the hard times. They're absolutely necessary. Parents, you're raising your children. You know why you're raising your children? So that they won't make the same mistakes that you make. They're going to find new mistakes to make. (laughs) Relax. Good luck. 
have people tell me if my life was like this, then I would do this. And I tell them, yes, you would. And then you would find new ways to screw up. That's the process of getting to know God. So from day one, God, you allowed man to do this? And what's fascinating to me is he could have started over, but he doesn't. Galatians chapter, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regards. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now, for the longest time, I used to ask God, why was one person's stuff better than somebody else's stuff? And God began to open my eyes. In Hebrews chapter 11, you realize it says that Abel came in faith. Now, I have a question for you. Where does faith come from? Hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by a word or a rhema from God. So we know that when, according to Scripture, that when God speaks, He imparts the faith to, to the imparts the faith to do the thing we didn't know to do. So we know that Abel heard God spoke to Abel and told him what to sacrifice. Now remember, it's impossible to please God without what faith. So to be pleasing to God, you must what. That's close. Here. You have here. You hear that he imparts faith to do that which is pleasing to God. Do you know that God makes a requirement of you and he also necessarily provides so that you can fulfill that requirement? He never, ever expected you to do it apart from him. Okay? So then we realize that Cain... Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and his brother and killed him. God spoke the law to him, but because he couldn't walk in the spirit, he walks in the flesh, and what was the decision that the flesh made? Kill my brother. So the first two instances in human history demonstrates that you can't do it without God. Do you understand why I started this thing and said, we're talking from a position of weakness? And it's a weakness not by which the world defines weakness, but it's a weakness that God says, in your weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. I am strong. 
but we're too busy trying to create it in our image, and nobody here wants to be weak because that's not the manly thing to do. And nobody makes the decision to try to be weak. Do you see what I'm saying? So he knew the law. The flesh knew the law in the first instances of history. And then God, instead of getting rid of Cain, demonstrates his second time of mercy and grace. Because where sin abounded the first time, don't eat of the apple, I will cover you, here's what life will look like. Then the second time, when the sin abounds because the law reveals to them how corrupt they are, he does what? He marks Cain and says, anybody that touches him will be cursed. So we don't discover the do's and don'ts. Oh, let me say this. Don't become consumed with the do's and don'ts. Be consumed with the character of God that's revealed in these first two instances in life. You realize first, I can't do. And you realize second, the depth of mercy and grace. And that's what it's about. We get too busy watching people, Christians, who, who, who are great Christians for a while, and then all of a sudden they stumble. And we begin to question their salvation, if they really knew the Lord or anything. But the fact of the matter is, it might be the next point of their journey by which God reveals the thing that was hidden in them all the time. And when he reveals it, they get to discover who he is again. Remember the story of King David? Do you guys remember that story? Some of you, it's scarred. Okay, but here's the point. King David, in his life, at that point in his life, knew some, didn't know something about God. He didn't know the depth of God's grace and mercy. He knew the power of God. He knew how to worship God. He knew how to, do, to be submitted to God. He knew, how, he knew all these things about God, except the depth of his grace and mercy. Why? He never needed it. You see, he knew it here, but he didn't know it here. So God removes his hand of grace from him, and David makes decisions that are flesh-led, contrary to the nature of God, and the prophet confronts him, and even David gives a righteous judgment on what should be done in the situation, and God in his mercy says, that's you. And from there, we get Psalm 51. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Why? Because he, out of him, was able now to experience mercy and grace because of the experience he walked through. And he appreciated God like he never did. In fact, you realize that, oh, I got, oh, this just hit me. Let us go. What chapter is uh, that in? Anybody? The, the story about uh, Bathsheba and David. 
Help me. Help me, help me, help me. I know we all should know it. <laughs> Especially the guy up here talking. Second Samuel 11. Oh, thank you, O one of great wisdom. Okay, so let's go all the way to Second uh, Samuel 12, verse 15. Because, because of what, say, what, what happened in the situation, I want to show you something. It says, so, verse 15, so Nathan went to the house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. Now, we discover something about David. He knows that God's merciful. And so he fasts and he prays just asking God, for the life of the child. And the elder of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with him. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servant and the David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How again can we tell him the child is dead, since he might do harm to himself? But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David perceived the child was dead. So David said to the servant, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David rose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he came to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. When the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but I will not return to me. So David had this reality of the afterlife. He knew that it was eternal. It says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went to her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son and his name was Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet and named him Jedaniah for the Lord's sake. Now I want you to understand something. Solomon is the name that David gave him. Do you know what Solomon means? It means peaceful. Do you know why he names him Solomon? Because David has a peace. Because remember, who's the mom? Bathsheba. And David names him peace because he has the peace of God in spite of his sin and God's forgiveness that he can go on and declare that this child is peace. Now, I want you to understand something. We have an odd situation here. It says, now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet and he named him Jedediah for the Lord's sake. Do you know what Jedediah means? Beloved of God. Do you know why God did that? To show David that he had moved on from David's sin. So David names him Solomon because he's received the peace of God and forgiveness. And God encourages him. And says, the son's name Jedediah, because I want you to know something. We've moved on. He's my beloved child. We've moved on from the sin. Isn't God awesome? You think that you can mess up God's plans for your life. I heard this. 
But you're not that smart or that big to mess his plans up for you. So get off your high horse. Get off your shame. Get off your guilt. God's not done with you. If you are upright and you are listening to my words and your eyes are looking at me, God is not done. So it's time to move on. It's time to know the reality of who God is so that you can be all that he's called you to be and do all that he's called you to do. Okay? So, getting back to Newman, we see some great examples of the flesh. Now, here, I want to show something else. What else is there in this skin? It's the old man, right? When Christ comes to your life, what happens to that old man? Huh? Say dies for me again, because it really, I like that. How do you say it? Dies. If he dies, that means he's deed. <laughs> yes? Am I getting it? I'm working on it. When Christ comes in our life, this guy is dead. How dead is dead? Great description. Dead is dead. Okay? Dead is dead. Romans 6.3. Rattle your pages, please, somebody. Thank you. Perfect. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized unto his death? Therefore, we have been what? Buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall all be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Are you freed from sin? You have to be. You couldn't go on in the relationship with God if you weren't free. Now, that doesn't mean that some of us may not be dealing with some things. Maybe nobody in this room, but outside the walls. But what you are is free from sin. Now, if you died with Christ, believe we shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer to master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that we live, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members are as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. So we know this guy's dead, and now we are free from that old man. Now let me draw a few more things here. Because if that old guy's dead, and this guy doesn't sin, we got to figure out why we still deal with sin, right? Uh, for the people outside the doors. We, we, yeah, we can help everybody there. Okay? So then... We also have what? We have a mind. Okay? 
Now, a mind are the lenses by which you look at life. These are your glasses. So before Christ, you look at everything in your life through the only way that you know how to do it. Basically like a blind man. Because the fact of the matter is, when we have a trial or tribulation, do we get excited about it? No, we don't. But the Bible says that rejoice in your trials and tribulations because it does all this great work in you, right? So when our mind is not renewed, we look at the situations through life through the lenses of this world instead of by the Spirit of God. And we miss we, we misunderstand or we don't see things the way God wants us to. So what do we have to do this, to this mind? You are good. You have to renew your mind, right? You have to change your glasses. Change the prescription. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You guys saw me look at my wristwatch to kind of show you that I cared about how much time it took. It's just an act. (laughs) The clock's right there. I could have looked up that way. (laughs) Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and true holiness. So when you renew your mind, you begin to view life Through God's glasses. All right. So this guy's dead. This guy doesn't sin. Now, you know, I really have done this guy a service, disservice. Because he's kind of really small. Has anybody here been born full grown? No? Does not those that things that are natural testify of the Spirit? Just, yeah. Yeah. So when this new man is small, and he has to grow in the things of God, okay? Otherwise, it would just be snap and would be done. And, and I know that in my growth, it hasn't looked like snap. It's done by any stretch of the imagination. Okay? So the old man's dead. We're renewing our mind. We have this flesh that never chooses God, so we're dealing with that, and yet we have this new man who doesn't sin. All right? Now listen to me. I want to show you a little something about the attributes of a changed mind. Are you ready? We're going to go to Luke chapter 5. I I, I did it before you did, Pastor. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and fishing, listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of this place. I don't even want to try that with a kiwi tang. He saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them while washing their nets. He got out of one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put it a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he was fish speaking, he said to Simon, put it out into the deep water and let your nets 
for a catch. Simon answered him, this is key. Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Remember, he's responding out of what? Old mindset. Okay? He has no idea. But he's recognized something when he's listened to Jesus teach. So he says, look, I see what you're doing. I hear what's going on. Just because it's you, we're going to throw the nets on the other side of the boat. So we know what happens. They let the net down, and they get filled with fish. They call their friends over. They fill up too. And it says in verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So he sees the reality of his condition and doesn't even want to be next to God at that particular point. Everybody ever seen how filthy they were and just want to crawl in a hole and bury yourself in it? You get about 10 seconds to feel like that. Because the blood of Jesus covers all of that. He takes care of all of that. So don't languish in guilt and condemnation. Okay? Turn with me to John 21. I want you to look at the difference of what happens when this Peter moves from a mind that sees things to the world to a mind that's led by the Spirit. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again, uh, John 21.1, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. See, I just almost did the fishing thing in the wrong spot. It didn't work. They said to him, he will also come with you. They went out, got onto the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you, ha- you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered and said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. I want you to notice something. They didn't recognize Jesus But they heard Jesus' word. You had experienced fishermen who knew the trade and had fished all night. And there was nothing in their experience that would have told them, put the net on the other side of the boat. So they hear Jesus even though they don't recognize him. And it says it this way. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast, and when they're able not to haul it in because of the great number of fish, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Here's the thing. When you have a renewed mind, you hear the things of the Spirit. 
You do the things that sometimes is counterintuitive. I'm in business. God's the CEO. I listen to the Holy Spirit give direction of what we should do in business. And sometimes the decisions seem very not smart, unwise, counterintuitive. But if you truly know God to be who he is, then you necessarily do exactly what he said to do. And you may not recognize it with your natural senses, but that renewed mind begins to see the Spirit of God. And you begin to recognize. And remember, when God blessed them at that moment, what did Peter do? He got up and got dressed. Who goes swimming fully clothed? Nobody. Why did he do it? Because Peter still recognized his condition. And what he did was try to cover the shame of who he was. That's why he got dressed. Remember... He denied Christ. And when he recognized him, he gets his jacket, puts it on. But what does he still do? He goes to him. He goes to him. Do you see the difference of a renewed mind? So we still have to deal with this sin thing. Back to Romans chapter 7. We know that the new man, and we covered this real quick. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. So we know this new man is holy and righteous. It says no one born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So we still have to figure out why we deal with sin. Romans 7, 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand, for I am practicing that what I like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. What does he realize? That what exists inside of him was still the law. Law, the law? Let's try this again. The law of sin. For the good that I want, I do not do, but practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur that the law of good in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but the other hand with my flesh, the law of sin. Here's what I want you to understand. Our task in this life is not to get yourself cleaned up for God. As long as we have this flesh tent, we have to deal with the law of sin that attacks our mind. We know that the law of sin still tries to operate, but when we realize that when we renew our mind, the renew mind gets with the new man, which continues to grow, mature, and it what? It rules over the law of sin. That's why at times and seasons of our life, this seems to come to life, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with growing more into the image of who God's created you to be, walking by the Spirit with a renewed mind that what? That dominates the law of sin that still dwells in this tent as long as I'm alive. You see, when you get a resurrected body when Christ comes back, there's no longer a place for this. It is gone. And you see clearly then. Did this make sense to anybody? This is why he's a new man. You're in a process. You're on a journey. Don't become discouraged. This place of weakness is the best place to be in a place of strength because then the grace of God can do what it's supposed to do, the thing that you were created to be. Jesus said this prayer, make them one as we are one. Glorify them as I have glorified you. This is the desire that he he wants from us to grow in the things of him that you look more and more like him all the time. There's a new Jerusalem coming. It's for you. It's for anybody whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know where that final destination is. Can I challenge you today? Enjoy the journey. You don't get to dictate how fast you grow. You're just going to grow. Because God's more than able to finish that which he began in your life. Amen? Will you join me with prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for the work that you began and the work that you will finish. Lord, help us to leave our past behind. Lord, forgive us for trying to be performers of the things of you. Forgive us for trying to be a people who tries to change ourselves. It's not our job. I'm reminded in John chapter 15 where you said you are clean because of the word that I've spoke to you. You finalized it. So now we get to be growing you. Thank you, God. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your peace. 
Let your name be lifted up. God, cause us to manifest you wherever you put us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.